Okay, well, uh, welcome everyone. My name is Benicia Breald and I'm super excited to introduce you guys and this is our first episode of the Ordinary Courage podcast. So I'm here today uh, with both my daughters, uh, Carissa and Eden. Um, they are, I have four kids all together, but these are my, these are my girls. And um, yeah, this is, this is actually a little emotional now that we've, we're starting. Um, so yeah, uh, so Chris and Eden are here with me today and uh, this is going to be episode one. Um, and so just to tell you a little bit about the girls before we start. So Carissa, my oldest daughter, is an entrepreneur. She's a, a business owner. She owns Wild Magnolia, which is a floral company here in uh, Calgary, Cochrane, Alberta, Canada, um, and area. And so Chris has been doing uh, wedding florals for the past several years now. Uh, she's an incredible florist, very creative. And uh, yeah, and so she's also a mother. Uh, she has three children and another on the way. She's currently uh, pregnant with her fourth child. And so we're very excited about baby number four uh, that's going to be joining us in January of 2021. And so, yeah, she's a mother. She's a wife, uh, entrepreneur. She's a blogger. She's a writer. Um, she is an amazing, amazing uh, woman. She's an amazing friend. She's an amazing sister. And she's an amazing daughter. And so I'm so happy to have you here today, Chris. I wouldn't want to kick off this podcast any other way than, than having my girls with me through the gate for the first episode. This is pretty cool. And my other daughter, Eden. Uh, Eden is also, she is also an entrepreneur. And uh, she is... Uh, uh, blogger as well. She's just going to be kicking off uh, with her own blogging website and stuff. And she is a writer. Uh, Eden is also in um, long-term recovery. Uh, and so she's also uh, an addiction and mental health advocate. Uh, she does a lot of speaking um, in the community here in Calgary and, and actually across Canada. Uh, we've done, done some gigs uh, across Canada. And so that's been incredible as well. She is also a mother. Uh, Eden has two little girls and she is, uh, I, I'm just kind of getting the, am I allowed to say this? Um, she's actually pregnant with her third child and so we just found out um, about a week ago last week and so baby number three is also on the way and with the expected arrival date probably in March of 2021 so we're super excited about that. Her and her fiance Keegan um, are going to be getting married soon and so she will soon be a wife and uh, yeah so these are my girls and uh, we're I'm so excited to um, to jump into this podcast. We're we are, we're going in deep. We are, it, it's like being at the pool and we're, 
you know, when you, you go to the pool for the first time and you're that excited little kid and, you, you know, all the fun stuff is always at the deep end, like the diving board and, and the jungle swim, swing, you know, that you swim. So all the, all the fun stuff is always at the deep end, the slides, you know, and so that's us today. <laughs> so we are, we're going to the deep end, we're jumping in, uh, into the deep end. And by that, I mean, um, we're, we're, we're going in deep with some hard um, topics, some pretty deep conversations. And so on that note, I also just want to give a little um, content warning, a trigger warning. Uh, some of the things that we are going to be discussing on this first episode, and this will likely be episode, like episode one and episode two, because uh, we won't cover everything in one episode, but is... Uh, there are going to be some hard things that we're talking about. Uh, and so just to forewarn you um, that you may be triggered listening to some of this content. And so we'll be talking about abuse. Uh, we'll be talking about drug addiction, mental health, uh, suicide, um, just some heavy stuff like that. So uh, we'll also be having some laughs, though, because... Uh, just we always do and so yeah so I'm excited to jump in I'm I'm excited to have you guys with us and to be embarking on this journey um, with, with us and so this is Ordinary Courage and so I'm just gonna we're just gonna jump right in and uh, I'm gonna just I'm, I'm actually would like to start with uh, Carissa and just to start um, with just sharing your story, uh, your story starting with the uh, sexual abuse that you experienced uh, with your stepfather sure. and just how that, the impact that that had on your life. And so, um, yeah, so just start with sharing that. And then Eden, just feel free to kind of come come in and jump in the deep end too when, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when, uh, when, when you want to share something too. So, but yeah, Chris, go ahead and just share with us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Um, well, it happened for like, I guess, several years. But I don't want to like, you never want to make it seem um, like more dramatic or more whatever. But I think I was like seven the first time I was abused. Um, but I didn't really know what was happening like it, there was no name for that and then it kind of periodically happened until I was 14 that was the last time so it was seven years um and then it was sporadically throughout that and then it wasn't until I was 14 almost 15 it was one specific day that I it had happened that evening I woke up I went to school everything was like still pretty normal I felt kind of weird um because I think my body, my mind, like emotionally, mentally was trying to like process like, I think something yucky happened to me, but I'm not sure what happened. And so um, I had been like slightly injured the evening before because my sister and I, Eddie and I were like goofing around and her knee hit my nose. So I remember being given like some Tylenol or Advil. Um, and so that was kind of the main reason why I called. Mm -hmm. When I got to school, I called you, mom, and was like, I don't feel very good. My head really hurts. Like, can I come home? And then once I was in the van, I'm like, dad touched me last night. Like, and so, and then it all really like just came out. So that was like 
the first day of kind of the end of the life that we all knew. And then um, I think this is true for a lot of sexual abuse victims that uh, I didn't know what the title of it was until shortly afterwards I started going to therapy and it was like, oh, you've been sexually molested. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, shoot, like, Mm -hmm. I get it now. Like, that's not good that that happened to me, but your brain is trying to protect you and it's all whatever. And so, um, yeah, I went to therapy, like, pretty shortly afterwards. Not a very good therapist. She just wasn't very equipped. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, like, bash her or anything. I know she did the best she could for what she knew. Mm -hmm. But she was not qualified to deal with um, what our family went through. So she was just very much like, you should forgive your dad. Because for me, with like the complicated family dynamics we had, even though he was my stepdad, he felt like my dad for me. He had been my dad for years. Um, So yeah, she was like, you should forgive your dad so you guys can just like be a family again. And the church didn't really know how to handle it, so they weren't doing anything you don't talk about these things with people in your life. So we didn't even have anyone to talk about. Like I didn't tell anybody immediately. You're like really shamed. And so it wasn't until I don't even know how long after that, that then we found the right therapist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I actually still see her. So that's like, um, how many years is that? 13 years or 14 years. years. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, so a couple of things, and, and I know because this is our, the first podcast, right? And so I forgot um, that I, I had actually really wanted to pray before we started. Yeah, so if you guys are okay, we're, I'm just going to pray quickly, and then we'll... Uh, Put that at the... Yeah, well, no, we'll just, we'll leave it right where it is. It yeah. just is what it is, right? Yeah. And so, um, okay, so I'm just going to pray quickly, and then we'll, we'll carry on. So, Heavenly Father, we just want to, we just want to thank you for just the, what a privilege it is to be here, um, and what a privilege it is to just even be given this opportunity to do this podcast, and so we just, um, we thank you um, for today and for just this opportunity to share our stories. I thank you for just what an honor it is to have my daughters um, here and next to me and to all be sharing in this moment together. And we just want to, we just acknowledge you. And because we know, all of us know, all of us girls know that we would not be here today if not for you and that you have totally guided us and directed us even through all the messy messiness, even through all the ugliness. And uh, your grace has always been there. And so we just thank you. And we just uh, just lift up this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I, I just want to... Um, so go back, because you, you mentioned a couple of things, like um, just with, like he was like your dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, because like I, I also have my biological father as well too, but different relationship dynamics there. Yeah. Um, and so like my stepdad was like my dad. You guys met, I was young. I was like, I don't even know. I don't even remember not knowing him. And so he just, you know, I never called him by his name. I always just called him dad. And then with you guys getting married, you had three other kids. They just, 
they were my siblings too. Like there was never any distinction between any of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was totally my dad. Mm-hmm. Like I loved him like he was my dad. Yeah. Um, and then I know um, you, you mentioned too that, uh, and Eden, you can feel free to jump in here too where you like, but um, actually, why, why don't you, honey? Go ahead. Why don't you? Like, because I know it's so, and I know that as we kind of get going into this podcast that it's almost like, it's like one of those movies you see where you have a certain situation, but everyone in, like, there's like, say, four groups of people or something, and they're all experiencing mm. uh, a certain particular situation, and they all have different perspectives, and th- and that's yeah. almost like what this incident what it did to all of us mm-hmm. right yeah like this initial incident came out with your um disclosure right you disclosed mm-hmm. the sexual abuse happening and then like you even said that day that that mm-hmm. happened and you disclosed was sort of like the end of our life as we knew it yeah right yeah and for me, I have my, um, the way that that impacted my life as mm-hmm. your mother, as his wife, right? But then we also, Eden, because you mm-hmm. were the second oldest, mm-hmm. right? You also have your own story around that and just, and, and actually even not even that long ago, you, you finally were able to come into your own truth um, concerning your relationship with your with your dad. So I, if you're okay with it, do you want to just jump in even from where your sister kind of left off? Share. Yeah, just share your like own. What happened with me? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and how that impacted you. Um. <clears throat> Do you want me to share first, like how, like as a bystander first, or coming to terms with my own truth? Because why don't you, uh, why don't you share first, like as a bystander, kind of thing, and then, uh, and then your because that just share your journey in the way that how it actually was your journey, mm-hmm. just in the steps that you actually took. Um. <clears throat> well, I mean, when I think I was about ten. Um, when I remember you sitting me down and telling me, um, well, just why, like, why he had to leave. Because um, I remember him being kicked out, or, um, and I didn't really know why. And then I just remember feeling really, um, just really angry and, uh, and confused. And um, I think it was just a lot of my... Because I even remember, like, I still have the journals from when I was that age and, like, the stuff that I was writing when all that was going on. And I remember feeling um, just, yeah, just really angry and confused and almost, well, I just was, like, I was just, like, why, Carissa? Like, it just didn't make sense to me because I just thought the world of, of you because um, you were my big sister. <laughs> Sorry. I even remember, um, 
um, like actually not even like a few weeks ago, I read in my journal and I just was writing and pretty much was like, it should have been me, not Carissa. Just because I was really angry and um, obviously it's easier to wish things upon yourself than it is people that you love. Um, and so I think like I'm, I immediately just, you know, like took Carissa's side, took your side. Like I just, I didn't want anything to do with him. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then, um, struggled obviously with that relationship for a really long time. Um, cause I would just go back and forth between, you know, being really angry and, and not wanting him in my life at all. And then kind of just missing the idea of what a dad is supposed to be like. Um, and later finding out that really that's what I was missing was because I never really got to experience what a real dad is supposed to be like and realized that I was just, you know, it was this idea that I had made up in my head um, or just, you know, of what you see of like what a real dad is supposed to look like and um, act like. And so, um, yeah, I don't I think it, well, it was a, a really long journey of figuring out where I stood um, with our relationship and then um, just coming to terms with the fact that it was just not, um, I don't know, it was just, I was never going to get what I wanted from that. And I, I mean, now I'm okay with that. I've been okay with that for, for a long time, but yeah. And then I, do you want me to talk about the, like, yeah, of course I mean, you can. Yeah. Well, a good place to interject to then make that point is that you said you wrote you remember reading back reading what you wrote when you were little saying like why like why not me like why Carissa but I always wore it as a badge of honor as your older sister that I was like well thank god it was me and not her because we shared a room like our whole life right and I was always on the outside of the bed so I was like well thank god because he's not even my real dad but it would be horrible if it happened and then (laughs) yeah so you both yeah were so concerned for the other and just wanting to protect each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, well, cause around, I was, um, around 13 when I started, uh, smoking weed and, and once I started using, I started seeing my dad, because um, he would condone me using. He was okay with you know me going to his house and smoking weed and drinking, and he would give it to me too, like give me the weed and and um, alcohol. And so that was ended up you know becoming motivation to really to have him in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know I always felt extremely uncomfortable around him. I remember that, um, from just from what he had done to you, Chris, and then, and then just even how he would treat me. Like I was quite used to him just making really inappropriate comments about, you know, the way I looked or my body or what I was like, what I was wearing. Um, you, do you mind giving an example? Yeah. Um, well, I, the one time I, well, there's a few times that I remember really clearly, but, um, he was going to buy alcohol from the um, 
from the liquor store and I came with him and he just, I guess, thought it would be funny or if I went in there to try to go and buy alcohol without an ID. I was 14. Um, and so I was, I mean, and I, I don't know, I guess for a 14 year old, I, I did dress kind of provocatively. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he just had told me to like pull my shirt down and just make myself look older. Um, and so I did that and I didn't get ID'd and I bought the alcohol, but, and, and then there was times too that, you know, he would say that I looked like a prostitute or, um, yeah. And then, um, he was just very, sorry. I was not prepared for this. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just very vulgar. I just remember that. And even in checking out other women that were like almost the same age as me or which which also just made me feel extremely uncomfortable and obviously would just comment on their, you know, the way they looked or what they were wearing or just how they looked really good and stuff like that. And I just remember always feeling like and thinking like that's not right. Um, and just wondering like, why does he have to be like this? And then almost just being mad at myself for even putting myself in those situations just to get high or just to get drunk. Like I, but at the same time, I, I was, I knew that I wasn't going to stop doing it anytime soon. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, I think I was maybe 16, um, after I had been in treatment, I think twice and I started getting therapy and stuff and then realizing that, um, even without being touched, I had been sexually abused by, you know, the comments that he was making and the way he would look at me and, and I didn't know that that was sexual abuse. Like I just, I didn't, I thought you had to be physically touched. Um, but then also to realizing that, um, um, and I'm obviously, I'm still kind of coming to terms and needing to go to therapy for a lot of this because, um, in treatment, obviously going and talking about all this stuff and doing therapy that I'd never really done before and mm-hmm. um, and going deeper into stuff that I hadn't really talked about started um, getting flashbacks. I didn't really know what they were. Like, I thought I was making it up in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so there's just always been that, like, well, I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard to explain because I, almost when I have, like, kind of come to terms that I, I think I was also physically abused too but I don't fully remember all of it yeah um so it's just a weird feeling of like just not knowing but almost knowing like Mm -hmm. like it would just make a lot of sense Mm -hmm. if it did happen because just even how I felt as a kid and how I felt around him and it's almost like your body just kind of remembers those things yes Um, yeah and I guess that's the best way I can describe it Mm -hmm. yeah I um I know for me, like, just uh, even in relating, I guess, just like how you two felt about each other, you know, how you're saying about how you were glad it was you and you wished it was you and just wanting to protect each other. I, I know even for myself as as your mother and, and as his wife, I, I remember being so angry and just wishing 
and hoping and praying like why why did you have to hurt my daughter like why couldn't you have just been with women like I, I you know why I wish you would have just been with a thousand women you know mm -hmm. what I mean like I don't even care what the number would have been but just why why my daughter right why my daughters you know and so I it's such a um I mean and we know this right just even you know you read the stories you 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 know listen to the interviews you I mean sexual abuse the impact of sexual abuse is it's life altering yeah it's life altering and trying to get you know trying to get help for that trying to find peace in that um, there's so many layers and levels in trying to deal with the aftermath when something like that happens and then especially when you you know you put on some of the other things and it compounds with some of the other issues that then ended up happening right like with like with you Eden with the you know drug and alcohol abuse and stuff like that and then where that took you but you know really a lot of this and then same with you Carissa with just struggling later on with depression and anxiety and you know what I mean that's where that took you as well like your both your journeys kind of took you to different places right but it all it all kind of started you know in the same and just how you ended up dealing with that yeah you know separately and I just want to so actually on that note if Chrissy do you mind just sharing a little bit about yeah just your mental health journey like just you know some of your the experiences with the depression and the anxiety and mm -hmm. what ended up because this has been a really long journey like it, it's yeah yeah it's been really long um as we were talking, you know, you kind of like relive things. So it's different for me now because I've spent so long. Yeah. Um, it's not um, it's not very like triggering or, yeah. or, or like re-traumatizing for me anymore. And so I can look back on it with so much clarity. But the further and deeper into your healing you get, the more that you're like realizing mm -hmm. like this adult issue that I have actually stems from when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, after that day that I told you, um, and then came to terms with like, he had been sexually molesting me. Um, our family like really struggled cause the dynamic was so weird. And so he was asked to leave the house. Um, and we did file a police report. Um, and then, but I remember like still wanting to see him or, um, it would be like, Oh, like the kids and I are going to go out for a movie. Do you want to come or do you want to stay? And sometimes I didn't want to go because I just didn't feel comfortable. Um, and then I just remember feeling like really alone, kind of forgotten. And then too, as like a 14, 15 year old, then you're left at home and you're kind of, well, I just was like, no one even knows I exist. You would see that family out there and you'd never even know that I was home by myself. The assumption wouldn't be made or it would be a different circumstance. Like, hey, like Peter really wants to see the kids. Was it bad that I said his name? Yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. Um, do you know how long it took me to stop calling him dad? 
like there are still times where I'll talk to Eric about like past stuff and I call him dad and then I'm like oh not dad it's weird how your brain works so anyways different circumstances hey Peter wants to come over and see the kids for dinner are you okay with that and so the obligation there to say yes I just felt like I had to Mm -hmm. like my feelings my comfort my whatever didn't matter because I had these three younger siblings and we needed to like keep our family together because at that time I was still being told you want to put your family back together. And I think a lot of my anxiety um, and like obsessive compulsive disorder, which is like a part of anxiety really stems um, from that because then I started to just be really like people pleasing Mm -hmm. from that and controlling in that I would try to control just whatever I could if it was the cleanliness of a space if it was um just like other things in my environment um and so that's really where all of that started my anxiety um and then the anxiety just kind of carried on with me I really struggled in high school because then I did I entered high school like that fall well there was no um you know, like there was, there was no, like, I, I totally remember at that time, like it was like this catastrophic, um, incident had happened. Like how I describe it, like when I write about it and when I talk Mm -hmm. about it, it was like a tsunami had hit our house and ripped our house and everything in it to shreds, Mm -hmm. but no one could tell. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you'd never you, know. You would never know. And, and we carried on yeah. as if you would never know. I never told anyone. Yeah. Except for, you know, a couple of people at church and things like that. But I never called the school to tell them, hey, Carissa might be <laughs> acting funny because, you know what yeah. I mean? She's just disclosed she's been being sexually molested. Like yeah. the shame. Yeah, totally. The shame. It was like this tsunami hit. Yeah. And what we were left with was just this heavy, heavy blanket of shame. Yeah. And you couldn't get out from under it, Mm -hmm. you know, and it just, it silenced everything. So even you at school, you just kept right on going. I kept right on taking the other kids to school. We just kept right on keep it on like just yeah. keep on keep it on you know what I mean yeah and like there was no like you know hold the fort yeah what, what else are you supposed to do yeah right <laughs> and so I yeah no you're right yeah. honey it just yeah yeah and then that turned into like you know kids always talk about these things like test anxiety so many parents are like you know but it's real I had been I had been traumatized for like years yeah. and then didn't really get the help I needed right away and then you're just continued to live, you, you, you're expected or whatever to live just a normal life. And so I did. The anxiety carried me through high school, like barely passed high school. And then it was like, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to go to school to be? Like, you know, who do you want to become? And, and then it wasn't until we'd been like going through this journey for quite a few years. Eddie was in treatment I was newly married, you were sober, Mm -hmm. and we like went to Denny's 
I think I was like 22. I must've been 22. So from the time I was 14 to 22, my anxiety is getting progressively worse. Um, and then even that, that's another thing. So along with kids and people like adults that are being sexually abused, they don't know the name. They don't know the term Mm -hmm. for that Mm -hmm. until finally it's like, they, they talk to someone and they're like, oh, you were a victim of sexual abuse. And you're like, oh, it was the same thing with anxiety. I didn't know the term for that. It was just like this thing, this just heaviness, this I can't totally take a full deep breath mm-hmm. for however many years. And then we went to Denny's for breakfast and you were like, you need to get some help. Mm-hmm. Like you've been helping and helping to carry this family, which was also, I think, a burden that I shouldn't have taken on, but I did. And I was like really suicidal at that point in time too. I was in nursing school. Mm-hmm. I was newly married. Like you're supposed to be really happy. And I was like mean because I was struggling so much with this anxiety and this like heaviness. And I didn't understand like what was happening to me. I was daydreaming about like ways to kill myself, like as I'm driving to school, you know, like just, and so, yeah, you were like, you need to get some help. And so then I went on antidepressants and that was like one of even though I'd already been in good therapy at that point for a few years, it wasn't until I went on antidepressants the first time that it was like, whoa, I've been living with the cloud for years. It was like the fog lifted. My brain could actually like, and that was really only the start because that was still like six years ago and I still have, there's more to that journey, you know. What were some of the barriers for you? Because I know, Oh man. I, yeah, I know that this was yeah. a big one, right? Like the whole going well, on meds. And- yeah, because I was afraid of becoming addicted to medication because our family was riddled with addiction. And then the stigma. Yeah. Oh, you're a loser. The you stigma. need meds. Yeah. You know, and so I was really ashamed of that. Like, yeah, you're not. It's at that time, I think things have changed over the last few years for sure. But even then, at that time, six years ago, like I didn't have people in my corner that I could talk to this about. I was really hesitant to like, I can do this on my own. And that's like a lot of martyrdom too, right? Like I needed the meds, but yeah, it was shame. And then I was afraid of becoming addicted to meds based on our family history too. So. And has that happened? No, yeah. but I think God was huge in that too. And then the meds lifted that fog and actually allowed my brain to process things properly Mm -hmm. and then I was still in therapy Mm -hmm. and then so it was just like tools in the toolbox right like medication needed to be one of those therapy was one of those and then I later learned after the second time I went on antidepressants that uh, exercising was also like really huge in that too Mm -hmm. yeah wow yeah it's actually amazing to me like when we when we even just our story, like just, Mm -hmm. just our little family story. Like when I think back to, cause what is that? Like 13 years ago now it was 13 years ago when, so June 1st, 13 years ago, Mm -hmm. our family fell apart. The tsunami hit the, the child sexual abuse disclosure. It was out. It was in the open. It just, it blew the whole house down kind of thing. But just I, I remember, and just even in 13 years, how far we've come as a society. And we still have so much further to go. But just there was no um, 
Sheldon Kennedy Child Advocacy Center, or I know it's not called, it's just called the Child Child Advocacy Center, but mm-hmm. there was, there wasn't that hub, you know what I mean? There was, I remember trying to look online and Google and all of these different platforms trying to find support um, for families where the husband is molesting the child and just some kind of support for wives and mothers and support there was nothing it was like crickets like there was absolutely nothing so it just felt like there was no place to go no one wanted to deal with that Mm -hmm. and honestly not even our church wanted to deal with that at that time it was just like oh my gosh you got to be kidding me you know what I mean? And so just where we are now. And so even when you talk about that, even with medication and, and our mental health, yeah. right? Because even that, just the stigma attached, the shame attached, yeah. right? And that even that was six years ago. And just even yeah. how far we've come, even, you know what I mean? Even in the last six years. Yeah. So it's, it's awesome because it's a lot better now. But again, and I think that's why it's so important to be sharing these kind of everyday stories right everyday stories of courage everyday stories of abuse mental health Mm -hmm. you know the breakdown in a family alcoholism drug addiction like all of it because it is happening it's happening it's happening in suburbia it's happening in the nice neighborhoods it's happening to our neighbor you know what i mean the one that looks like they have it all together you know i know in the church Right? It's happening everywhere. And I know because we were really good at making it look like we had it all together for a long time until we didn't. (laughs) Until it was just leaking out everywhere. Right? And so, yeah, I just, um, Eden, I want to jump back um, to you. And so, because just even if you can just take us down... um, that road kind of where you know you you're using at 13 you're 14 you're 13 14 years old you're using with your dad like your dad is supplying you with drugs and alcohol and and I know that wasn't that wasn't all of it but you know and then just where because you I know I know from watching you as your mom like you went down hard and fast right and then And then that was just a whole other journey right there in itself. But so can you just, just take us back to that where you just, you're, you're using your 13, 14, you're in treatment and. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I, I, even for me, I know, and I even remember being in it, you know, around 13 and 14 and knowing that I just had a really strong urge to just self-destruct like as quickly as possible. I just remember, um, you know, using for the first time and, and how just that, um, just how it had kind of felt like I had finally found something where, I don't know, I just, I just felt normal, normal. Um, and there wasn't a bunch of stuff going on in my head. You know, I didn't have to think about what was going on at home. Um, I felt calm. I, you know, I wasn't, you know, self-analyzing everything I did or said or, how I looked and like I just was able to I don't know I guess I just in a in a sense I kind of felt um like a sense of ease or freedom um um and so I just I guess I just ran with it um because it worked and 
and I liked the way that it made me feel and so then I just immediately like just started seeking out every opportunity to to get high um and uh yeah and then when I obviously realized that you know it was it was easy to do that with my dad um to go over to his place or because I was kind of when we were like the boys were still visiting him like I don't know like every weekend or a couple times a month or something um and um yeah and so I would use that opportunity to um and it's I mean it's I don't know thinking back on it now because I was thinking that I was there protecting the boys if anything were to happen like I wanted to be there with them but really I was just drinking and getting high um and so I think like I said before like I was just I was mad at myself for that um but again, like I wasn't stopping and, um, yeah. And I, th but I mean, and that was around, yeah, 13 and 14. And then, um, I feel like my using really like just went straight down, um, was when I was 14 and then I was lost my virginity, um, to rape. And, um, even that, like coming to terms with that, even knowing that that's what had happened to me. Like, I thought it was my fault. I thought I drank too much. It was my fault that I drank too much, you know? Um, like, I... Yeah, and so... Um, but I obviously... Like, when it had happened, I didn't know that it was... That I had been raped, I thought. But I but I knew that it had messed me up. And so... Um, yeah, and I... And then at that point, I just was like... I just... I didn't even really care anymore. Um... And did you tell anyone? Um, no, not right away. No, I remember how it came up. I think if I remember correctly, um, because I think actually Chris and I were talking like a while after it had happened and, um, like um, a few months. I don't really remember the timeline. It's very um, foggy. It is. Mm -hmm. Um, and for some reason we were talking about, um, um, like anal sex or something. And so, <laughs> and that's, that's how it had happened. Um, and so I don't know why, but I remember saying that I had done it and then Carissa went to you and I think she was maybe worried. Yeah. Cause then mom had brought it up to me and then I broke down cause I was like, it wasn't consensual. I vaguely remember that conversation. Yeah. And I even, I think then that conversation, it wasn't like I was raped no. You were owning yeah. the responsibility of that yeah. happening to you. So then even my interpretation of that was like, I didn't even realize. Yeah. So that really even shows you. Yeah. Like, I think that's so messed up and unfair. Maybe how I coped um, with it or, yeah. Because um, even after that had happened, like he was a, I don't know, a pretty popular guy. Um, and mm -hmm. I had liked him before this had all happened and, and he told everyone, obviously didn't say that it wasn't consensual, but so I got, you know, like everybody knew and um, was calling me a slut and would just yell anal at me down the hallway at school. Oh and so I just had to own it. Like, I think that's the only way I really, I was like, mm -hmm. well, this isn't going away. So I'm just, this is just who I am. I'm just going to be this girl. And then I think it was just when you had confronted me, I couldn't, I just couldn't own that with you. Um 
And obviously I had felt like I was in a safe enough place that I could say something, but it kind of just came out. Like, I don't even really remember being like, oh, I'm going to tell her. Like, it just came out. Um, and I don't even know if I'd, like, how I worded it or if I, yeah, but, um. You, you were, you were a bit descriptive when you told me because I. Well, I'm, you asked a lot of questions, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I just, I remember, like, how I was saying I was enraged doesn't even describe how I felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then it was after that, that's when you took a dive. So then mom, did you know? Did you understand from when she when she told well, because you? when she when she when she told me what happened, yeah. she told me it wasn't consensual. So you knew. Yeah. Yeah. So because what yeah. she described to me was not. Yeah. And as an adult, yeah. With life experience, you yes. were like, This is rape, but for a fourteen year old girl. Yeah. Well, and then I was so like when did this happen? And then it had yeah. been months. Mm. Pre- so I, it was so like, mm-hmm. yeah. But then that's when seeing even then, but I, even by that time, your drug addiction had already kind mm-hmm. of yeah. taken hold yeah. because it was, there was just no, there didn't seem to be like, there was no coming back. Uh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And you were you were still so not even really wanting to talk about because I wanted to go to the police, mm-hmm. I wanted to go to his house, like I wanted to have a conversation with his parents, like mm-hmm. I, I was I was ready to, and yeah, and it was just you were just on a it was like a one way, mm. yeah, take it down and. Yeah, no, I had no desire to, like, stop or slow down or... Because by that point, I, I, th- I just had kind of already been like, this is what I'm doing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't want to get sober. I didn't want to deal with anything. I didn't want to look at anything. I still liked the way drugs made me feel. I still liked, you know, like, who I thought I was when I was high or when I was, you know, with the people that I was with. Or It was just a really good way to, to avoid and cover up. Can you can you explain that a little bit? Because I, I think for a lot of people that and and even it's it's like a good awareness thing too, because it's so hard for people that have never experienced addiction to like what is the big deal? Like what do you get so caught up in? Like when you say I liked who I was or who I thought I was. Cause I, I think for a lot of people they don't understand just how much that whole lifestyle is glamorized and romanticized and who you end up perceiving yourself to be and how you start to see yourself even though it's so far distorted from actual reality you know what I mean yeah so who who was that um well I mean because without drugs and alcohol and I mean mostly drugs but um before I had gotten into it and stuff, like I wasn't a very outgoing person, you know, like at school or stuff like that. And I just was always really insecure um, about everything. And um, 
and then obviously everything that had happened with our family and um and then what had happened when I was 14 it just was an escape like that's the best way I can put it um and you know like the more I started experimenting with drugs like the more I realized like just how it just I it just completely took me away from everything myself like and and I was a completely different person when I was using like even looking back now it's just weird to think that that was me just because of how much I almost like um just like grabbed onto that lifestyle and and then just was like this is me now um so who was that who was who was me who was that like when you say this with me, who who was that? Well, someone that just didn't care, <laughs> like about anything, um, about myself, about. Mm. I mean, and I always, I mean, it was hard because I obviously still really loved my family, like you guys and the boys, and, um, but it was just. It was just really easy for me to shut that part of me off, and so I just was. Um, I don't know, I guess just kind of hollow. And I just, I just had one drive and that was to get high. Um, and then it obviously got stronger and stronger the more I used and then the more, you know, traumatic situations I put myself in. Um, so then I just had more of an urge to, mm-hmm. you know, like just use more and then be more careless and, and avoid more stuff. And it just all added on. And I think that's what it is like for a lot of people. Um, Cause obviously that lifestyle isn't glamorous. <laughs> Um, and it comes with a lot of really scary stuff and like what? Well, I mean, I mean, eventually I, um, and especially being like a younger girl, um, I was using with a lot of older people and usually men because I mean, you learn from a really young age that if, if I just, you know, wear this or if I, if I do this or whatever, then I could get what I wanted. And, um, I remember being, well, like as soon as I started using, it's kind of how I figured out, like, this is how I can get what I want. Um, and so a lot of the trauma that I put myself through was, was because I wanted to get high or I needed to get money to get high. Um, and so, yeah, it was just a lot of situations where I was being taken advantage of or um and then I eventually you know put myself into prostitution um and I even remember that like glamorizing that in my head um and thinking that you know the first few times were like glamorous and you know I was doing it for like an agency and I thought that you know this was all okay and then and then eventually it was like I was getting paid 50 bucks at a gas station to you know to get some guy off and and I think that's when it Kind of cross up line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like was like I'm. There's no coming back. Saying that I hated myself doesn't even. Doesn't even feel like it. Like. 
I was just disgusted by myself. And, and so it almost, and then I just even remember like it was almost, because there was always still like a small part of me that was like, maybe I can get better. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I can find my way out. And I obviously still, especially when it had just gotten really bad and there, there was no more fun times. Like it was just literally doing anything to get my next high and then just doing that every day. Um, and by this time, and you're using like, just so everyone understands too, like, cause we're not talking marijuana anymore, mm-hmm. stuff like that, yeah. we're, right? Like this is, your drug use had drastically progressed to fentanyl, heroin, mm-hmm. like you were using intravenously, yeah. meth, like it was, yeah, it was um, about as ugly as it could get. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember never really being scared. Um, like I remember, you know, going into treatment when you had put me into treatment when I was 15 and that at that point I had experimented a little bit with other drugs, but mostly just smoked a lot of weed and drank and, and then I remember relapsing after treatment. Um, and I just had like no desire to take it slow or, you know, try to control it. Like I just was like, I want to get as messed up as possible. Um, especially once every time I had made the decision to relapse, like, you know, because I, there was like, I didn't, I didn't want to relapse. It was almost like I was forcing myself to do it because I was like, you're not going to stay sober anyways. So don't even try. Like, Mm -hmm. I just had no faith in myself. Yeah. Um, cause I even remember leaving the treat, like leaving treatment the one time like fighting with myself in my head, being like, turn around, go back, it's not too late, you haven't used yet, and turn around. And then I just was like, no, keep going. Like, cause mm. I was walking to the like flop house that I had knew. Um, and then just couldn't get high fast enough. And then, cause it was almost just like, as soon as I used, like it was, I don't want, I don't know if relieving is the word, but maybe cause I, that fight in my head was just over. Cause I was like, okay, just time to give up on yourself again. Um, and just keep using and because it obviously was like a fight to stay sober Um, and it was exhausting and so it was just easier to just like kind of let myself like yeah just give up early before I like gave myself or other people too much hope Um, but so I think maybe that's why I didn't really like when I tried meth for the first time I was just like okay like and then started using intravenously when I was like 16 or 17 um and by that point I just was like I'd obviously felt like I'd found something that like really worked and then after a while that didn't work anymore and so then I started using fentanyl and then I started using heroin and um and then I got addicted and so I think once and like looking back on it now um, I don't think I would have gotten sober if I didn't get addicted to opiates. I know that might sound weird, but I think it took me down further so fast and just, cause it wasn't about like, it wasn't even about getting high anymore. I just didn't want to f- get sick and feel like crap. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like want to not get sick was enough for me to start prostituting myself and like just to do whatever I needed. Um, 
and yeah so I yeah <laughs> I mean eventually like I well and it was I think it was New Year's and I don't even I mean now I know that that was God because um, I still again had no desire to get sober um, if anything I just was like I was just waiting to overdose and then to to not come back from it um, but then yeah I ended up getting a hold of you and and then I think it was just I honestly don't even think I was in control at that point like I just think God had really just pushed me along, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I I know you've said before too, like, you know, because you've obviously shared lots with, with me over the years and you shared, you know, just even how like that was, I shouldn't even be alive. Like there were so many times that you knew that God had totally, mm -hmm. you know, intervened and yeah. Like literally saved your life. Yeah. Yeah. Or from, I mean, I this is horrible. Everything that obviously, what you've gone through and stuff. But even, even, even more horrible things from happening. Like mm -hmm. where you knew that you were had been protected. Like. Yeah. 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 I know. I was. It was definitely hard to see it in the moment. Um, but looking back and being sober for like three and a half years, I've obviously had a lot of time to reflect and see things differently. And it's just been like really, really clear that, that God was looking out for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I know it's, uh, I want to just, so for you, um, obviously I know that the shame was there and was heavy and because I, I know for me as your, as your mom, um, watching you go through that and, you know, being, being totally aware of our surroundings and things like that. Right. And, you know, to meet you at, you know, say like our Tim Hortons you know, how we meet at our Tim Hortons and, you know, just seeing the, the shame, the stigma, things like that. Like, I know you obviously would have experienced that as well, right? Like, just how, and I know for me, that's really when, you know, because I, you know, I've, I've worked in addiction and mental health and I, you know, several years ago I used to work at the Calgary Drop-In and Rehab Center, like the homeless shelter. And so you see addiction and mental health, right? Like firsthand, right? You, you know, all these people and all their stories and stuff like that. But I remember for me, it really, um, going through what I went through with you, Eden, um, and, and where your addiction like where it took you like to the streets and to you know what I mean that, that was it changed everything for me like that was like I I I I probably would have described myself prior to this experience with you I would have described myself as a compassionate person you know working in in that field but 
it really uh, came to life for me in a whole new way when when we went through what we went through with you, right? And because that's when it be really became a human story for me, not just people. These are those people, you know what I mean? And to have, yeah, I had compassion, but it was like, it just, it just became so much more of a, yeah, of a human story and, 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 and anyone, it, you know what I mean? We're all susceptible to, you know, to just just to one day just not being able to take it anymore mm -hmm. you know like and I mean we're all all three of us sitting here have had those had those experiences to some extent right mm -hmm. you know what I mean and just feeling like yeah just <clears throat> this this could be the thing that just puts me I just don't know if I can come back from this right and so I I um I want to I I want to touch on just you know because because you you all you did come back you did come back you know what I mean you have gone on you've moved on you've grown Carissa you know what I mean you've overcome right you even said so yourself earlier like even now when you talk about the sexual abuse and what happened to you it's not even really triggering for you anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's like major, some people don't ever get that. You know what I mean? And so, and then, you know, same with you too, Eden, like just some of the, you know, some of what you've come out of and even, you know, when you can look back and see yourself and just, yeah, just where like, just the hope, you know, the hope that you guys have right and just where yeah just how you got here like how what 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 changed like what 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 are some of the things that you you know like when I this this was a pivotal moment for me when you know what I mean because you know how sometimes you can have like it's like one word is said and it just drastically like changes your your life or one thing happens and it's like you're just this is, you know, and sometimes you don't even know what that moment is, or you don't even know what that pivotal moment is. But then when you look back, you can, mm -hmm. you're like, that's when it happened, you know. So what, what was it? Maybe we'll start with you, Chris. So what was it with you, for you? I know just when we, we took a little break there, mm -hmm. and, uh, which was needed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we were just talking about, um, just having pivotal moments, you know, like when we go through, I know even in my own personal life, in my own personal journey and story, I've had some pivotal moments where I can look back, you know, when I was here at this place, you know, I was out running, I was in Banff and I thought I was lost. You remember, you know, how I've told you girls that story, right? Like, I, so I'll just, yeah, I'll give that as an example when I was so just, uh, you know, it was actually because when everything happened with you, Carissa, and like, 
you disclosed that you, you know, Peter had been molesting you. And so then obviously, um, we, well, not obviously, but, uh, we called the police, we pressed charges. Um, and so even that whole, uh, procedure, um, bless you, honey, even that whole procedure, uh, the, the criminal proceedings and all of that, that, that took almost two years, uh, to do all that. And then, uh, Peter was sentenced and convicted. He got two years less a day and he was allowed to serve that time out in the community. But I remember um, for those first two years after all of that happened, I, I couldn't even think about getting a divorce. Like I couldn't, it's, it was like I didn't even have the capacity in my mind. Like there was no more room left. You know what I mean? Like every single room in my brain was full like, you know, it, there was just, it was like a hoarder, <laughs> you know what I mean? I had no room left. And so, so once I remember once the, all of the, the criminal stuff had been settled and it was over and I had gone out to Banff by myself for a couple of days, just because I was trying to, um, just figure out what my next step was supposed to be you know what 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 you know am I supposed to get a divorce is that what I'm supposed to do now mm -hmm. and I remember so I went, went out to Banff for the weekend and I was going for a run and I just usually when I go for a run I just kind of like put my runners on leave my hotel and pick a direction and start running and so I had done that and I I remember you know I'm running through the trees or the field or like whatever it was I was running through in Banff and and I remember I just had gotten lost in my own thoughts and whatever and I had all of a sudden I had come to this spot and I'm I stopped and I remember literally being in the path like I could see it like it was yesterday and I remember just standing there and I was like oh my gosh I'm I think I'm lost like I I actually don't know where I am. And and I was starting to feel a little bit terrified because, like, I legitimately was lost. Like, and so I thought, like, clearly the best thing to do is to go back exactly the way I just kind of came and just kind of run back to the hotel. And right in that moment of standing there contemplating, like, I probably should just run back go back where I came from, I I just really felt God speak to me in that moment because I, I, it was like it was all of a sudden relating to me, you know, do I just go back into my marriage, go back the way I came because it's familiar, I know it, you know what I mean, or do I keep moving forward? And I, in reality, I'm in this path, I don't know where I am. I'm legitimately lost. I have no idea what running forward is even going to look like. I could run into a bear for all I know. And so, but I remember in that moment, that was a pivotal moment for me in my life that actually changed the, the whole trajectory of my life. Mm -hmm. And I remember I, in that moment, I was like, okay, God, and I, I'm not going to go back. And then I knew in that moment, too, I'm getting a divorce. When I get home, I'm getting a divorce. It's, it's over. 
I'm done. I'm not going back. And so I started running forward. And I remember I'm running, I'm running, and I'm I'm scared. I'm emotional. I'm scared. I have no idea what's in front of me. And I knew that even metaphorically as well as in the natural, I have no idea. I remember running for like about five, ten minutes. I'm running, running. And all of a sudden, I get to this clearing. It just like the path all of a sudden opened up right in smack middle in the middle of Banff Spring Falls. Like it was probably the most beautiful, picturesque, like scenery that you could even imagine. I, I didn't even know that was there. Like, you know, and and I thought, wow, isn't that right? Mm -hmm. That's like, for one thing, that's like so like God mm -hmm. to just kind of show up like that, you know. And for another, that's so, that's so like life. You know, sometimes like we're so terrified to move forward you know, we know what we know, you know what I mean? We know what we're familiar with in our past, even though sometimes it's painful and it's it's ugly, maybe it's even abusive, but it's familiar. You know what I mean? We know how to be back here. We know what's expected of us. We know how to operate. We know how to behave. We know, you know, and that's how it was for me, but I had no idea what the future was going to hold for me. And But having that experience, having that pivotal moment, I knew that, yes, I'm going to go home. I'm going to file for divorce. I'm going to get a divorce. I have no idea. I don't even know what's going to become of me. But I know that in that moment, having that experience, I knew that God had me. And I knew that it would, was probably pretty likely going to be better than I could even have imagined. And... So I, I, I don't know um, for you girls, like in your journeys and in your stories, I don't know if you've had, it, it could be like dustings of moments like that. It can be, you know, a pivotal moment, you know, because I've had both too, or you know what I mean? Or it's just a a series of things but it's like yeah that's kind of like when that happened that day you know you might not even know it at the time but that actually started to change things and so I just want to I want to hear from you both because neither one of you are where neither one of you are where you like you're both so far from your experiences. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of times we don't always, we don't always, we don't always survive. Like not, we don't, we don't always make it. Like sometimes we don't make it past these experiences. Like sometimes they, they devastate us. And, and I know that because I've talked to so many people where 40 years later and they're still devastated but do you know what I'm saying? They're still impacted. It's still having an impact every day, every day, every day. And, and so, and same, you know, same with you, Eden, and just even recovering from 
how severe and where you were in your addiction. Like, you know, and I know, you know, it's we're sharing all of this on the, these podcasts right now and on these episodes, but there's so much more to these stories. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? And for you to be, like, I know even myself when I, when I was going through that journey with you, Eden, and you were on the street, you know, I knew that you were using fentanyl and heroin. I knew, like, I even had the police telling me, your daughter's not going to last the year. She won't make, she's not going to make the year. Like, everyone I knew, you know, first responders were telling me that you, like, basically prepare yourself because she's, she's likely going to die, you know? And so I just... It's incredible. It's a miracle that you're here today, Eden. It's a miracle that you're here today, Carissa. You know what I mean? Because the depression, the anxiety, like you were very seriously ready to take your life, right? And so I just, I really, I mean... It's so important for us to have hope. And I know that as your mother watching both of you girls, you know, fight and war and battle and just cry and plead and just do everything that you've had to do to get to where you are today is incredible and it and it was and it was against all the odds right it was against what normally how the story kind of ends you know what i mean like i don't know how many funerals i've been to where people your age eaten overdosed and died you know and and so, and same with suicide. We know suicide. We know, we know. We, I mean, we know even what we're going through right now with COVID and just the, the impact that even COVID right now is having on our society and our, our whole globe, our whole big, beautiful globe, you know, and just where people are in their mental health journeys and just suicide. And it's, it's, it's happening you know, more than maybe we even want to talk about or, or, or even think about, you know, because we sometimes we feel like we don't know what to say or we don't know what to do. And I just sometimes I think just even having these conversations and just listening, I, I don't even know all the answers, you know, even listening here to you girls, I it's I still sometimes just don't even know what to say. I'm just I'm in awe. I'm in awe of you both. And, and I'm incredibly proud of you both. And so, yeah, I just want to, you know, I just want you to share a little bit about those, about those, you know, your moment, one of your moments. I know that there have been many moments, right? Because that's what this journey is all about right? It's not just one moment. That's it. You get all you get is one moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, you had your one moment. You didn't realize that was your one moment. Oh, that's too bad for you, I guess. <laughs> and so I know that there's more than one moment, right? But just, just to kind of share a little bit about, yeah, just what that, 
yeah, what what it's been for you. What it's we'll start with you, Carissa. Okay. Um Yeah, I don't uh I don't think I have just like one thing, but I have a few. The one I already mentioned is when we went to Denny's and you were like, You need some help. And it was small but huge because then there was a lot of shifting of um, my understanding of things and all of that. And then the next shift was, actually it was, that's all a part of it. So that was really pivotal for me. We went to Denny's, you were like, you need help. So I was like, I'm going to go on some antidepressants. (laughs) And then um, I was really struggling in nursing school too, because um, it was just, I like couldn't handle the pressure of it anymore because I just felt very uh, defeated. I was like, what is the purpose of life anymore? Like, I just can't keep going. This is really hard. And I was two months from graduating. So I was, like, really close to the end. Um, and, And then I randomly decided to reach out to the florist who had done my wedding flowers. And was like, hey, do you know where I could, like, go get a job somewhere to just, like, learn how to do this? I just need, like, a creative outlet for to me to help me I don't even know like what obviously it's God totally but I don't even know it's not like someone said anything to me or sparked anything I just randomly had this idea and was like okay I I'm gonna do this forgot that this is how this all started yeah oh my gosh and so um yeah so then she was like well actually I need to hire someone for the season so like I'll hire you and she paid me really good she taught me a lot I worked for her for a whole season while I was still doing like my practicum and finishing up my mm-hmm. nursing mm-hmm. Um, and that was really pivotal for me because I was really creative as a kid. I loved to draw. I was in drama. I was like really, all, and yes. that died. Yeah. When our family went through what it did and I had been abused and then just, it died, like it totally. And so like God used that to remind me of that creative side mm-hmm. and that I had that passion. And then, so I graduated nursing school um, and then it was like two months later in March, I graduated in January in March, Eric, my husband was like, just start a business. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't have a portfolio. I've never made a bouquet before. Like I know how to do some things, but I don't know how to do a lot of things. He's like, let's just do it. And, uh, so I had 10 weddings that year, my first year, never having made a bouquet before. I had a lot of trusting people. Um, And then I also ended up finding out I was pregnant that summer with our first. And so um, God used that because then I I actually didn't end up working very long as a nurse at all, like a few months literally, and that was the end of that. But God just like shifted my life. Um, So I've been doing flowers for six seasons, but like five years. It's been five years since I started my business. And that has carried me through being able to be a stay-at-home mom Mm -hmm. while also still having something for myself. And so really, like, God used flowers and that florist that I reached out to to totally save my life because I was drowning. Basically, I felt uninspired and Mm -hmm. I wasn't thriving. I, you know, I I was barely even surviving. Like, I wasn't happy, even though I should have been. Like, all these things you think, like, should have made you happy, but, like, I couldn't have relied on my husband to make me happy. Like, that's not why you get married or or it shouldn't be because that won't last. Like I needed to be happy. I needed to find something for myself. And I was able to do that. That then has carried me through my first 
four and a half years of also being a mom to now three kids. Um, so that was really pivotal for me. Yeah. And then exercise, like the other really pivotal moment that I can think of is just three years ago when I had Will. Um, and I was, that's when I was really suicidal again. So my anxiety had like peaked. I was really struggling with the two little kids because they're only 15 months apart. I was very isolated because I was living far away from, not far away, but I was in Airdrie and you were in Southeast <laughs> Calgary and that, but like the weight of the postpartum was like, I couldn't even leave my house to go for a walk with the two kids. I was struggling so deeply and I was like, I just can't do it all. I can't do it all. And I don't even know what the all was, but it was like, I can't do it all. And then I was like, I need meds again. It was one day after like just beating my door in the garage and my hands were like burning. And then I got into the vehicle and Eric's like, are you okay? And I was like, I need meds. I can't keep doing this. Like I'm really struggling. I was daydreaming about slitting my wrists in the shower. Like it was not pretty. And then, and then I signed up for a triathlon. So I went on meds, moved in with you <laughs> with my two kids and my husband. And then God used that too. So oh, that was sure pivotal. Yeah. yeah. It was huge. Yeah. 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 So just, um, touch on why why the exercise why was that well I'd never like even done anything like that initially I'm like this is ridiculous a triathlon I hate running I could barely swim like you know I think I had kind of figured out the swimming because you'd started taking me when I was pregnant with my second but um it was very extreme and for some reason it like drew me in and it was like, well, I'll give it a shot. Like, I guess it's just another tool in the toolbox here. And I had the resources, right? Like living with you made it so much easier because I had a lot more flexibility to actually get out and like prioritize my myself and my fitness. And it wasn't about the physical aspects of it, but I was like, I need to help my mental health here. So then I signed up and actually paid the money for the triathlon and was like, well, I can't go back now because I've made this financial investment. It was a big deal for us too, right? Like, it, yeah, and uh, and the the just the mind shift that I experienced because of exercising, like very consistently, like that. It really, I'd never, I never knew what it was like to feel that kind of uh, release mm -hmm. from my anxiety. From and so it was those it was um, those things combined. Mm -hmm. It was the medication. And the exercise that then I eventually was able to wean off the medication mm -hmm. because I had had the clarity and realized, yeah, actually exercise can save my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What about you, Eddie? Just some of your... Um, I was thinking just while listening to you and um, I mean, I think I'm, I more too had a lot of little moments that... But, um, I mean, obviously, what had kind of driven me, without me knowing, um, to get sober so that my life could change. Because um, I still kind of believed in God, but I obviously never prayed or anything like that. And I remember, I think it was maybe like a few days or a week or I don't know the time frame, but it was shortly... Um, after or close to, I had ended up calling you, but I remember walking 
um, just like aimlessly. I don't even know where I was and I was just crying um, and then just prayed and didn't even really know what to say. I just said, God, help me because um, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like I just, I just wanted it to be over um, and I've said it lots before, but like I just was at the point where I just wanted to die um, and I had been at that point for a long time, but I was like really ready. Like I just really felt like I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and then I just remember, um, and I, I didn't know it at the time, but then I had called you like New Year's night and thinking back, like, well, and even in the moment, like I thought I had kind of like, I had had everything I could want using, like I was held up in a hotel, um, and I just was being fed like all the drugs that I could want. Um, and so I thought, you know, like that was like, I didn't have to you know, like I was searching for drugs anymore and like I had a place to stay and, but it just was not, um, obviously it wasn't enough. <laughs> and, uh, I don't even know why, but I just felt the urge to call you and, and see if you're busy. <laughs> um, well, on you, your on New Year's Eve. <laughs> Cause I wasn't. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and then, yeah, you just came and got me and I, then I never went back. Um, and I like, it's just, yeah, I, I, that obviously was like the start of mm -hmm. my life. Um, yeah, and I can totally see now looking back that God was just waiting for me. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then it just like, and, and, you know, I said before, I feel like he was just like pushing me, like, just keep going because I, there was lots of times where I just was like, just obviously ready to give up again because I really did not think that I was going to be able to do it and stick with it and stay sober. Um, but then I did. And so, and then, I mean, obviously I've had lots of um, moments since then, like, well, the triathlon was a big one too. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> again, like I didn't, I just, I was like six months clean, I think. And a triathlon was never on my list of things that I thought I could accomplish. <laughs> Nothing was really on that list. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, yeah. And then I just started training again. Like it was out of convenience because I was living with you and it was easy to like, you know, go to training and, and, and swim and bike and run and stuff like that. And, and then I just, and then it just started, like, I just started changing. Like I started to actually feel a, like a, I don't know, like a, I guess, passion to live again and, um, started believing in myself and feeling like I was capable of doing something and like, other than just throwing my life away and getting high and, um, and then obviously, um, just doing the triathlon and like, like finishing it was just huge. Um, and I just feel like that kind of like kickstarted my recovery and my journey in a way that not doing it, like it just wouldn't, it wouldn't have been the same, I don't think. Um, and then having babies, <laughs> obviously yeah. too, was, um, you know, like, cause both, well, Rhea obviously was, was the first and extremely unexpected, but, um, just ended up being like, 
one of the greatest gifts. Um, and even like through having two daughters, like I've been forced to just like heal in so many other areas of my life and like within myself that I did not think was gonna happen. So there's just there's been lots of moments. <laughs> there's still even more that I haven't mentioned, but yeah, I could probably go on and on. <laughs> Tell me, um, I I want to stay on with your daughters, <laughs> and because I I I remember you having Rhea like your first daughter and just because now you're a mother right and so it just just that perspective and for both of you too right like so because I remember you having like these massive revelations of motherhood and do you know what I mean? Like, do you know what I'm referring to? Like, just even in your, like, holy crap, mom. Like, I can't believe. Like, now that I'm a mother and just, like, it was it was almost like you were able to look at your addiction out from a different lens. Oh, yeah. Now, do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Once you became a mother, like, mm -hmm. yeah. Because I would say that that was probably pretty pivotal, too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And you're you're transforming like in your becoming yeah um it actually just reminded me of something i don't even know if i've um even really talked about it a lot like with you two <laughs> but um i think it was in a counseling session like one of the very few i had with um like our counselor and um and it, I think it was when I was with pregnant with Rare, I had just had her, um, and just obviously like your, your kids, you think they're, you like, they're just innocent and you love them and there's, you know, nothing that they could ever do that would make you think otherwise. And, um, I just remember her saying that like, just to have, you know, the way I see Rhea to just to see myself that way. Like, when I was a little girl. And then just even through everything that I went through. Because I'd obviously just still, you know, struggled with feeling ashamed and, like, just of all the stuff that I had done. And, and that was, like, just really huge for me because it was... Because then I know that, that was the way that you see me. And so it just made it real feeling that for myself like with my own daughter <laughs> and so that in itself too was obviously <laughs> healing and and it, it's just even been like a constant reminder to just to not be so hard on myself like to just continue to have grace for myself and yeah <laughs> I'm a mess. <laughs> I think we all are. I shouldn't have worn makeup at all. <laughs> what about you, Carissa? How was motherhood? 
been just healing for you? Yeah, motherhood has been really huge for me. Having Bo was like, he's my first, was like the greatest thing that ever happened to me. So yeah, there's been a huge shift in like my thinking and how mm-hmm. I, um, and even just my growth, my desire to grow, just how I see the world a little bit differently. I remember <laughs> having just a huge appreciation um, for you afterwards. Yeah. Like I was like, holy crap, <laughs> we put her through so much. <laughs> so sorry. And then on the other hand, um, then just the the shifting in how you... Um, I know dads feel this too, but as a mother, um, you're like, oh, I get it now. It makes so much sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, cause we'll still have these conversations about how, um, these really heavy things have impacted us. And then you still will get emotional and you're crying and you say, sorry again. And I'm like, it's all right. It's all right. And then I'm like, I get it now. Like you have a kid and you just like want to protect them and keep them safe from like every harmful thing possible and give them the best possible life. So that was really huge in getting that on a deeper level, you know, and just the protection that you have over your kids. Like, um, and then, yeah, I've done a lot of growth. I like myself a lot more now than I have kids. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, Oh, I thought I was pretty okay. Like beforehand, yeah. but I'm like, thank God I'm not that person anymore. <laughs> like, so thank true. God. Like I was not that great actually. <laughs> I'm sure there are a few people that think that, but like, I like myself. And, and just obviously with every kid too, there's been, um, more opportunity for growth and then a shifting in like desire and calling. Like, it's amazing how they bring that out in you without even trying. It's just obviously the timing of God bringing them to us and all of that stuff to reveal like just our destiny, our plan, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I I know for me, and I and I know that we've talked obviously about a lot of hard things today, and and uh, and I mean to some extent we've really just kind of skimmed the surface, right? Yeah. It's yeah. it's <laughs> we could like probably have a hundred episodes <laughs> on all all of this stuff, but I I. Uh, I guess too what is so it's like you know you have these pivotal moments and these things that come in and they uh accompany you know they're a part of the the healing process if if we allow it mm-hmm. right if yeah. we allow it and and um also just I I think too I want to just touch on gratitude because I know I know for me I'm so grateful now. Like, and I know too, like, I know even in my own childhood and the stuff that I've been through as a child and then, you know, young adult, whatever, and then obviously my, you know, my marriage and things like that. And, and, uh, but I'm, I'm so grateful to be where I am today. And I, I'm pretty sure you girls are also so grateful to be where you are today right but even and I it's never I mean you'd probably be hard-pressed to say this when you're right in the middle of it obviously for obvious reasons right but 
it's so amazing to me how much um, some of the worst things that can happen to us can can be the greatest moments of teaching to because I, I know for me these stories like you know my husband molested my daughter you know what I mean then I find out a little bit later he was also sexually inappropriate with my other daughter his biological daughter like you know the my own alcohol addiction like just and then your drug addiction and where that took us you know and then where that even took us as a family and just like just all of it right and but just how um these are these have probably been some of the, the biggest greatest most beneficial lessons and things that i've learned about myself ever in my life you know what i mean like i i can't even imagine where i would be without these experiences now mm. you know and just the things that i've learned the things i'm grateful for even where our relationship is today you know mm -hmm. like with you girls is mm -hmm. it's ama it's amazing yeah. it's incredible like you're you're my daughters obviously and you'll always be my daughters and you'll always be my girls you'll always be my babies you know but you're you've almost become like it's like this special sisterhood too of just women you know <laughs> and you're like my best friends and yeah but it's like it's so much deeper even you know and just even being able to share our stories collectively yeah you know and just being able to relate to each other you know as as your young women and we're mothers you know <laughs> i'm a grandmother <laughs> Mama G, just so y'all know, <laughs> don't be calling me grandma, because <laughs> I'm Mudgy. <laughs> you know, but just, it's just incredible. Mm -hmm. it's, it's actually, it's so, so messy, and it's been so, so ugly and painful, but it's, it's the most beautiful, messy, ugly <laughs> messy ugly thing that I think I've ever had happen to me yeah. and to have what we have today to be where we are today mm -hmm. um honestly even to be doing this podcast yeah, yeah. like who to thunk <laughs> you know yeah seriously like I mean if this is the last podcast we ever <laughs> I mean, it won't be, but I'm just saying, it would still be pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, so I, it's just, uh, you girls are amazing, and I'm, I'm inspired by you both daily, and, and, and watching you as mothers, and watching you as wives, and seeing you with your, your significant others, and seeing you as mothers, and it's, it's such an it's such a it's such an honor to be at this stage and and place in my life right now
Um, I'm just so, I feel so blessed to be here and to, and to, yeah, just be living, living this out with you girls. And so I think uh, kind of in closing, like in getting ready to close here, I, what would be, and I'm probably going to have to have you girls on again, I'm thinking, <laughs> but uh, what, what would you want to share if, if for those that are listening Maybe they can relate to everything that's been said today. Maybe they can relate to some of it. Maybe they can, you know, pieces of it or whatever. Maybe they know someone. What would you, what what message of, I guess, just courage and strength and hope would you wanna, would you wanna share, Krissa? Well, even just as you were talking and saying, like being here now, getting like the privilege that it is to be in this stage. Um, like, I don't think it's really complicated. It needs to be some like crazy intense statement. Like, um, but there's a lot of hope in just knowing that there's an, there's the other side, yeah. you know, yeah. like it might not feel like when you're in the middle of it, that there's an other side to this, but there always is an other side. Like, and that, um, like, God is always, like, right in the middle of it, too, you know? Like, he's not, like, don't get me wrong, he's not, I know that he doesn't look at us and, like, want to not take us out of those situations, just like we want to, as parents, like, take our kids out, but, like, he's going to use it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there are unavoidable circumstances that happen because we're all human, mm -hmm. Um but like your story is also really important too. Like all of our stories are really important. I've been noticing that and feeling that a lot. Like there are bits and pieces of connection that we all have mm -hmm. that like really like bring a community. Mm -hmm. So there's another side. Totally. You know, like yeah. you're not going to be in that yeah. forever. It's like I, this too shall pass. Yeah. Like I, it's yeah. actually crazy to yeah. think about that, that like when I was a teenager and this was first happening, yeah. I'm like, what the heck is my life going to be? Yeah. But just like really not losing hope. I don't know if that sounds super tacky, but it's like really important. Like don't yeah. lose hope. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Might take longer than you think too, because I'm pretty sure none of us thought it would take 13 years. It's a long time. Yeah. Never have expectations. Yeah. Seriously. That's good too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, no expectation. That's good. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's true. What about you, Eddie? Yeah, I think it's pretty similar to what Krista was going to say, but just that um, I think we're all capable of more than we think we are. Yeah, it's good. Um, and, like, obviously, especially for myself, like, I'm still today, like, my life is not, it's just more than I ever thought it was going to be. Um, and I know that there's still more and there's still going to be more yeah. and more. And I, and I know it's easy, like, just like what you said to get, you know, stuck in like what's happening and whether you're using or you're, you know, struggling with depression or anxiety or just whatever it is, like it's, it can be just really easy. And especially like, as I just was, I got so used to giving up on myself mm -hmm. and like, just not even letting myself hope or believe or try. Cause I was like, there's no point. But then eventually when I did let myself try, like, I just, mm. God just showed me, like, af like just one thing after the other that, you know, things I didn't think I was capable of. And so I don't even, I don't know what that's, 
how to put that into a, <laughs> a statement, but <laughs> I don't know, I guess probably just to, yeah, like just to not give up hope and yeah, just to keep going. Like, even if you're like, what's the point? I don't see where this is going to go. Like, just keep going. You don't always need to know it's where it's going to go or what it's, it's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's so true. Yeah. That's so true. Wow. 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 <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, uh, oh, I just really, I'm, I'm just really grateful. Really grateful for you girls and really grateful that you agreed to <laughs> jump in the deep end with your mama. <laughs> We be swimming now. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, I just uh, thank you for today. And I know that uh, we're going to be splitting this into a couple of episodes episode one and episode two. And, and uh, but yeah, this has been pretty, uh, a pretty impactful. I know, even just for me personally, and I hope for all of you uh, out there listening that. Just wherever you are right now and whatever you're going through, I just really hope, even if it's just in some small way, that uh, you've been able to find some hope and find some courage in, uh, in us sharing some of these stories today. And just to know that I know one of the biggest things for me uh, when I was going through some of what we talked about today was just feeling so alone in it and I and I think that's one of the the biggest first important things to know is that you're not alone and uh, so I just I hope that that's my hope uh, for anyone listening today and whatever you're going through wherever you're at in your life right now um, just to know that you're not alone. I hope that you know that you're not alone. I hope that you find someone, even if it's just one person, uh, to reach out to, uh, to, to talk with, to share with, um, just to, you know, turn the light on with. And, uh, and I, I really, uh, yeah, ordinary courage the reason, you know, it it's called ordinary courage is because going through some of the things that we end up going through as humans, you know, sometimes we think it it's 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 it can be overwhelming to think about having to overcome or get through obstacles and hard things and trying times and but I think, and I've learned this for myself, that it's just little steps. And that's, that's ordinary courage. It doesn't have to be big, powerful steps. Sometimes they're just little steps. Sometimes it's just making that decision to keep running forward when you're not totally sure where you're going. Sometimes it's having a conversation with your mom, you know, 
at Denny's and just sharing what's really going on that you, you know, you're really feeling suicidal. Sometimes it's, you know, trying rehab one more time, making that phone call to a loved one one more time. And so I just, ordinary courage is just the little ways that we can, the little steps that we can take in our life to make, to make a little bit of it a difference. And every step that we take, every day that we take those steps, it does, they build on each other. And it just gets easier and it gets better. And uh, so we're just, I am, I am, uh, I am so excited um, to be doing this. I'm so excited that we've actually, I can't actually believe we're launching a podcast. <laughs> it still blows my mind. See, even that is like ordinary courage. That's, yeah. this is a little step. I procrastinated this for a long time. <laughs> and then I actually, my Carissa was starting to get on my case. And so, but yeah, that's, I mean, this is just ordinary courage, just ordinary everyday courage, just kind of putting ourselves out there. And so, so excited to be doing this with you all. And um, I hope you'll subscribe. I can't believe I'm actually saying that. <laughs> I hope you'll subscribe and you can find us on Spotify and Apple and I, I we're working on you know anywhere that you can listen to podcasts you'll be able to find us and so yeah uh, please uh, if you got something out of this please pay it forward share it with a friend uh, share it with a loved one and uh, we'll look forward to um, talking with you again this is Ordinary Courage and yeah Thanks, everyone.